Welcome to Digication Scholars Conversations. I'm your host, Kelly Driscoll. In this episode, you'll hear my conversation with University of Alaska Anchorage alumna and current Vermont Law School student, Alexandra Ellis. More links and information about today's conversation can be found on Digication's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Full episodes of Digication Scholars Conversations can be found on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. Today, we are speaking with Alexandra Ellis, a University of Alaska Anchorage alumna and current law student at Vermont Law School. Please be aware that in this conversation, Kelly and Alexandra discuss potentially triggering topics like alcoholism, driving under the influence, and a deadly accident. Before they begin, I'd like to give some context. As you will learn during this conversation, Alexandra, having fallen into alcoholism as just a teenager, got behind the wheel of a car while drunk in 2014 and tragically hit and killed a cyclist. During this conversation, Alexandra shares the devastating impact of her choices, how she has worked to persevere through the aftermath and consequences, and her determination to rise up and build a life in service to others after having been the cause of so much pain and hardship. This is Alexandra's story. Alexandra, I'm so excited to speak to you today. Thank you for joining Digication Scholars Conversations. And uh, I was looking forward to talking to you. Um, I came to know you through your ePortfolio that you created when you were a student at University of Alaska Anchorage um, because I was a reviewer as part of the AHANA Student of Excellence uh, Award competition. And um, I, I just, I remember exploring your pages and reading your story and just being really amazed at your strength and courage and perseverance and the incredible person that you have come, have become through this journey. And um, I think it's a story that many people will value hearing and that's why I wanted to have you here today. So thank you so much uh, for your time. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. So I wanted to kick off our conversation today in, in referencing uh, a quote from your ePortfolio. Um, in your ePortfolio introduction, um, you say, I believe everyone does the very best that they can with their stories. I'm no exception to this rule. So I'd like you to tell us a little bit more about your journey and how you've come to believe this. Man, oh man, where do I start? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, I believe that everybody does the best that they can with what they have at the time. I mean, we all grow up with experiences and um, the lessons that we learn through childhood. And, um, you know, we, we become this person um, and with our reference tools uh, and we just try to do the best. And, and for me, I, like I said, in my portfolio, I don't think I was or have or am an exception to that rule. I mean, I grew up with uh, two very hardworking parents and, they always distilled in us that, um, you know, a belief in, in ourselves, in our community and, in what we could do, uh, with each other. And, um, 
you know, growing up, I, I kind of took a different path than my parents expected me to. And, um, and coming out of that, I, I just tried, I just tried to do the very best that I could, um, with those experiences. And I'm still trying to do that today. It's, it's not over. I think that's true for most of us too. <laughs> yes, very, very true. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's interesting. I, I have a, a daughter myself um, and she's a th- teenager now. Okay, and, yes. <laughs> um, yes. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she was, she said something to me the other day that I've been thinking a, a lot about. And um, I thought you would probably have some some thoughts on this too. But she said, um, you know, it's it's so weird that decisions that you know our whole life is determined by decisions that we make when we're just kids. Yeah. And I was like, oh wow, that's um that feels like a lot. <laughs> So what do you what do you think about that reflection that she had? Well, first off, that's awesome that she's already thinking about stuff like that. Because um, I don't think I necessarily was <laughs> until I was everything was just in the moment and, um, you know, like how to make myself feel better. A very selfish and self-centered view of life, um, you know, as we're kind of expected to be as teenagers, I think. And and um, but a lot of us don't think that it's going to be us, you know, um, that, you know, that our that our lives are can affect others in in a w- one way or another, because it just feels like we're, you know, we're assigned to a certain role and we're we're playing this part in our life. And and then we're just like, you know, moseying along or whatever. And and then all of a sudden, you know, you make a choice that, you know, I I always like to say that your life can change in 10 seconds because mine did, um, you know, so that's very reflective of her already at such a young age, you know, and, and to me, I, I didn't think that my life could, could or would change at the age of 17, but it did. Um, and, and it happens so fast too, cause you just never think it's going to be you. And then all of a sudden it's you and you're like, okay, now I have to make more choices and decisions, but you're just paralyzed by your, your former choice. And for me, I was 17 and I was, I didn't have any support really of my family at that time because I just burnt so many bridges. I mean, my dad didn't talk to me for six months um, after the incident and I just, I just kept like trying to, to do better. And, you know, that's really hard at 17, especially like when you realize that you've made a choice that makes you an adult and, um, you're like, well, now I'm expected to act like adult, but all I really want is my mom and my dad. (laughs) And, uh, are you comfortable today sharing what that incident was and, and why it left you feeling so paralyzed? Yeah. Um, so when I was 17, I, uh, made the poor choice to drink and drive and that choice resulted in, um, you know, I, I took a man's life that day. I killed somebody and it's something I'll never be able to take back. Um, 
and something that I didn't think would happen to me, as a lot of us do when we decide as teenagers to drink and drive. Um, so yeah, basically that that was it. <laughs> it became very public in the Anchorage area too, it, which rightfully so. Um, the man that it hit was the president of a bicycle club, very affluent member in our community, um, a great guy, um, was married for 23 years and has a daughter. That daughter is now married. And like, I took that all away from them. You know, I took the ability to have that continued marriage and to be able to, uh, you know, walk his daughter down the aisle and meet his grandson. That's all on me. That's stuff you don't think about, you know, beforehand. (laughs) Yeah. So you mentioned, um, after this happened that you, you didn't have the support of your family, at least initially. Um, what are, what are some ways that you were able to, um, kind of pull yourself forward. And um, could you tell us a little bit about that part of the journey too? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like a little emotional and a bit dark, but like, um, you know, I don't know why, but the police didn't arrest me that day. And um, they left me in the custody of my parents and And my dad's like, I don't want a murderer in my house. And so he took me to Providence Discovery, um, which is an inpatient treatment facility. And I really just wanted to die. I just thought it would be easier if I just took my own life. Um, But I had this moment where I realized that if I took my life, that then nothing good could come of this situation. Like this situation had already been done. It already had happened and there was no going back in time, though I wish I could. Um, But I realized if I tried to stay sober and live one day at a time, like being sober and giving back and telling my story, that maybe other people would hear something from it and be deterred from doing what I did. And, um, and so it was kind of like a choice to make a living amends, to, to live differently one day at a time. And, um, and for me, that's that choice, you know, that choice, it was, it was very vivid. I still remember it just like watching planes come in at Providence hospital and just, you know, feeling like this strength inside me that I didn't know was there before. And that like, no matter like if I was going to go to prison for 25 years or, or what, I was going to continue to try to do better because my life was no longer mine. That's beautiful. And um, I know that you, in your portfolio, have also referenced your Cherokee Indian background. Um, do you feel like that may have influenced some of your decision-making as well? Yeah. I mean, something that I didn't know, but, you know, I learned when I went to treatment for the first time is that like American Indians or people with um, American Indian descent or Alaska Native are more prone to alcoholism than other people. Um, And to me, like growing up, we 
my dad, like every time I'd go to school, he'd, I'm, I always mess it up. I can't pronounce it right, but it's, um, like he would tell me basically hello and goodbye and, and have a nice day at school in Cherokee. And, um, and so we were, we were taught from a young age to like respect our family and respect our community. And, you know, this is our ancestry and like everything as far back as like the trail of tears. <laughs> like it's incredible how much history my family has. Um, you know, but all of that went to the wayside when I started drinking, it just didn't care anymore. And, um, but then getting sober, I, I really wanted to learn more about ceremony and, um, you know, how my ancestors connected with the universe basically. And, um, and just other parts of my identity that, you know, I hadn't allowed myself to, to really believe in before. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, and I know when we started our conversation, I, I mentioned the Ahana student of excellence. So um, cool that you were on that panel. Yes. Um, well, it's, it's always been such an inspiration. I, I'm just blown away um, by some of the incredible students at that institution. Um, you being one of them. Um, so I wanted to just share a, a little bit about that and talk about what that experience was like for you. Um, so this was back in 2018. It, it feels to me like it was yesterday. I don't know if it feels like that for you. It feels like forever ago. <laughs> I look forward to learning what you've been doing since then. Especially but, after uh, my first semester of law school. It's just like, oh, oh God, okay. everything before that just feels like years ago. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> So um, for those that aren't familiar with Ahana, uh, I wanted to um, be sure that they kind of knew what that was. So it's the African-American, Hispanic, Asian, International, and Native American students at University of Alaska Anchorage's Multicultural Center. And um, in 2018, you were awarded the Student of Excellence Award, um, but you were also given the single honor of the... um, Women of Excellence Award. Um, so how did you learn about this opportunity on campus? And um, what was the kind of process for uh, applying for it like for you? So I'm sure you know Leo. He's the the head of um, Anina or, or uh, how it's pronounced um, at UAA. And he, I wanted to be a part of the multicultural center when I first started going to UAA because, because I just, I felt really comfortable there. Um, like I just, I felt really, really comfortable there and, you know, it's a really small space. They've got, uh, coffee and, you know, styrofoam cups, which is really comforting. And, um, you know, Leo's so approachable and he sends you all these emails about opportunities for us. And, and one of those opportunities was the scholarship program. And, um, you know, not as many people apply to it because it's, to be honest, it's a lot of work. Um, 
but you know, I sat down and I met with him and I was like, what do I have to do to um, apply to the scholarship? Cause it seems like a really fun opportunity and a, a great um, way to tell your story and, and you know, how you've gotten here. And, and he sat me down and he took the time and he showed me e-portfolio and how to do the e-portfolio. And like, he just made it really fun and creative. And um, so that was really great. And um, I don't know if, if they told you this, but um, Leslie, the other winner that year, the, the man of excellence uh, for the award, he uh, was a I also worked at the writing center as a tutor and he would come visit me every Friday on his day off and we would work on this e-portfolio together. And so it, yeah, so it was really special that he won too. Um, Cause we taught each other little tricks and I helped him with his grammar and stuff, which is funny because now looking at, at this loss, this e-portfolio, there's just so many mistakes I wish I could fix. Um, you still fix it as an I, Yes, I like had to refrain myself when I opened it up this morning. <laughs> Stop. It's okay. It doesn't have to be perfect. Um, but yeah, so I just, just the process of applying was really cool. It was, it's such a great way to, it's so easy, like once you get into it, and very creative uh like you can add any picture or even like a a gif in the background so you have movement and um you can really personalize it and tell your own story in the way that you want to be seen which was important to me because I mean I didn't get to choose a lot of what was said about me for a long time and my google search is is changing I love it yeah yeah um so were you surprised when you got the award? What did it mean for you to have the university recognize you in this way? Um, I was surprised because there were so many other applicants, I guess, like the reception. There were so many people at the reception. Um, and I don't know, I guess like it meant a lot to me because like for one, you know, like, I, I found it difficult to come back to, to go to UAA the first place, just because I knew that I would see so many people. Um, and, you know, not everybody was kind, which is okay. And, um, but for my university to, to recognize, like, that people make mistakes, and that, like, you're trying to do better, like, it meant a lot to me. And two, it, it meant a lot coming from, like, the multicultural center, too, you know, like Leo and and um, and then to Paul, you mm-hmm. know, they just I feel like they just scoop people up under their wing and they, you know, when they see like success stories and it was really great. I was really surprised. You could you can tell in the pictures how surprised <laughs> I was. <laughs> Yeah, and it's lovely that kind of metaphor of them scooping you up under their wing. And uh, I hear that from other students that spend time in that space too. The the multicultural center, I think, becomes kind of a home away from home for a lot of the the students there. So thank you for, for sharing that. It's great that there's that kind of support and camaraderie and 
community that's that's there. Um, so I do want to learn a little bit about where you have gone since you got that award, um, because I know in your uh, e-portfolio you talked about some of the kind of future goals and career aspirations that you had at that time. So I'm really curious to hear what what you're up to now and where you're going to go next. Yeah. So, I mean, in the e-portfolio um, now, the original reason I created it was because my plan was I really wanted to get a PhD in English and uh, maybe one day become a teacher and work within prisons like I had the opportunity to do before. And, um, you know, teaching GED in prison was such a an great experience for me, like being able to sit down with women who were told their entire lives that they just, um, you know, were dumb and they couldn't do it, to have just one person take that time with them. And, you know, to them being able to pass the GED within weeks, like mm-hmm. 34, 35 years old, or even some circumstances, we had a woman who was just about to turn 60. And like, it was so unfair because she didn't speak English. And so like, we had like a translator, um, she was from a small village um, up north. And she, you know, there was a girl there from a similar, like a close by village and so she translated and we were able to get it to the point where like you know she could do math and get her started on our way to her GED and stuff but you know it it was barriers like that that I wanted to to address and um but what happened was kind of like the universe intervened a little bit like Mm -hmm. I went to this uh in Juneau I was invited to go to this um like prison literacies conference um and that they were doing like inside out work um, in in Juneau and in their prison there, and um, which was really cool. I never thought I'd enter another prison, uh, <laughs> but I did. I entered the Lemon Creek facility, and we got to to spend a day there. And I was introduced to this um, idea of restorative justice, which I'd never heard of before, and I was like whoa, what is that? And um, I don't know if it was there or at a different um, event, but I met Liz Medicine Woman and she's a, she's a circle practitioner in, out of Cake, Alaska. And I got introduced to a different way of dealing with crime than what I was introduced to, um, where the idea of restorative justice is that crime is not an individual's moral failing but community creates crime and vice versa. And so it's a community's responsibility to deal with an issue of crime instead of just throwing individuals away and hoping that they get better. Um, right. And, and I, was, I was like, whoa, tell me more about this. This sounds amazing. I feel like Anchorage really needs it, especially like at the tail end of 2019, most of SB 91's um, provisions had been totally revoked and uh, modified by our new governor in Alaska, and um, which was really, it was a reform sentencing bill. Um, and it, it, it didn't, the problem was it didn't allocate 
money for treatment uh, was the big issue in it. And but anyways, um, I got introduced to Vermont Law School's uh, Masters of Restorative Justice uh, program. And I applied there and applied to a bunch of different graduate programs. And I didn't get into any of the English graduate programs. And I only got into the Masters of Restorative Justice. So being me and busy, I graduated uh, from UAA, uh, which was awesome. And um, and then I started work uh, for NANA uh, as a technical writer. And so I did that for many months and eventually got picked up by Rollcap um, and did grant writing for a bit while I did my master's. And um, I was encouraged by the law school, of course, to apply to the law school. And so I took my LSAT and um, I just finished my first semester of my JD, L1 year. Congratulations. <laughs> and, thank you. During COVID, you. it was a bit different. Um, but I actually, I moved to Vermont on January 6th. So I'm very excited about that. That's great. Uh, so today, and I know that this may change, as you mentioned, the universe sometimes intervenes. <laughs> yeah. Big time. <laughs> um, and I think that's true for all of us. Um, but as of today, and I, I hope we can reconnect uh, maybe in a, a few years to see Absolutely. how things have changed. But um, I would love to know after you get, you know, finish uh, law school, how do you plan to to put put that to, to work? Do you plan to go back into the prisons again? Or um, what are your plans? So... Um... I guess my plans as of right now is I'd really like to do criminal defense work and policy change. I think, um, you know, and then and there's some people that really have inspired me, of course, but, um, you know, I, I think tribal autonomy is incredibly important. And um, it, that's something that we need advocates for here. And um, so the long-term goal would be to come back to Alaska, work as a criminal defense attorney, um, and advocate for policy change on the broader level. Um, maybe work, maybe one day, big dreams, uh, you know, we'll open our own restorative justice center in Anchorage, um, be able to, to kind of route like nonviolent crimes to to circle processes and ADR and um, mediation instead of prison um, because Alaska, I mean, we just don't have that many resources here for substance abuse or um, you know families or and we would it would be so beneficial and especially in an incredibly diverse city like Anchorage to have something like restorative justice on a broader level. I mean, we do for our juvenile justice programs here, which is a great start, but um, just advocating for tribal autonomy and and pathways to um, indigenous healing, I think would be, especially just because the statistics are so disparate 
they're so disparate. And, um, you know, just addressing the idea of colonization at the sentencing level, I think would be huge, huge. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. And I know the community could just greatly benefit from more of a focus, as you mentioned, on this healing and treatment and rehabilitation. Um, So I I hope that that all works out for you. And uh, I I will definitely reach out in a few years and and see where where your journey has has taken you next. Um, So thank you so much, Alexander, for your time today. It was wonderful to to speak to you and to to hear your story and the, the wonderful things that you plan to do next. Yeah, thank you so much for having me and, um, you know, pray that I pass the bar. <laughs> Keep my fingers crossed for you. Lots I think so you hard. can achieve anything you put your mind to. Yeah. I think so, too. I've got a lot of great support. Good, good. Well, I'll talk to you in a few years. <laughs> Sounds good. Please check in. <laughs> I will. Take care. Bye. Digication Scholars Conversations is brought to you by Digication, a technology platform powering the most innovative e-portfolio programs in K-12 and higher education. Our website can be found at digication.com. This episode was produced by Drew Albanicius and Jessica Chittle. Thanks for listening.